where we attempt to rank every single horror movie ever. And uh, on this episode, uh, filling in for Quincy, uh, your your uh, usual host, is um, longtime podcast members, basically, uh, Sarah Gailey and Christina. Hi. Hi. How's it going, guys? Good. Really good. Super great. Just uh, ate some nachos. Yeah. Yeah. On point. Yeah, there's this nacho, pl- there, there's this uh, Mexican food place near um, where we live that just, you ask for nachos, and they just give you an entire super soaker full of cheese directly into your eyeballs. I'm lactose intolerant. I have no regrets right now. No, none. I'm gonna later, but I have no foresight either, so. So there you go. I'm like Tinkerbell. I do not foresee consequences to my actions ever. Yeah, and also speaking of uh, Tinkerbell, so uh, the um, ersatz mascot of the podcast, Tinkerbell the Pitbull, um, had a near-death experience this week um, with liver failure, so we've been dealing with that. Yeah, she seems to be doing better. Um, it's still a little bit mysterious, but it's probably the wages of years of eating whatever she could find on the sidewalk. So. Right. It's a real, it's a real problem. Um, and thank you to all the Rankin Bell listeners who helped pay for her yeah. veterinary treatment. Um, yeah. The comfort you all can take is that Tinkerbell will learn nothing from this experience. <laughs> it's very important. Not a goddamn thing. It's yeah. It, 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 honestly, if she did learn from it, I would love her less. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what uh, ghoul shit or non-ghoul shit, I guess, have you been watching or consuming this week? Um, I have been, I started watching this Netflix cartoon called Hilda that is the most wholesome shit. Um, it is, like, Gravity Falls-esque uh, girl adventure. It's, excru- it's extremely Scandinavian. Mm-hmm. I have also been, for research watching the OC and Revenge, which makes me so happy. I'm working on a project right now that's going to be in the tone of a CW teen soap, and I am so fucking pumped. Yeah, watching you, uh, because I I feel like uh, when I made you watch the OC with me, you had not seen Peter Gallagher before, and watching someone respond in real time to the reality of Peter Gallagher's eyebrows, just breathtaking. Magnificent. Yeah, because like I hated Peter Gallagher when I was a kid because of repeated viewings of Sex Lies and Videotape, because mm. he's the bad guy in that, and he's so good at being a prick that you know showing up as nice Boston boy Sandy Cohen in the OC is like, bless this mess. It's so good. It's so good. Welcome to OC, bitch. Um, Christina, what uh, shit have you been, um, I-, I ghoul or otherwise, consuming this week? I'm reading the last book in Felicia Davin's uh, Gardener's Hand trilogy. It is called Shade Bloom. Uh, I'm kind of a slow reader, not word by word, but I'm quick reader word by word, but I get distracted a lot, so it took me a while to finish a book. Um, and it's wonderful, and I love it. And in terms of watching, it's mostly been The Great British Bake Off, because I'm, I'm tired, you know? I'm just tired. Mm-hmm. And The Great British Bake Off is like a low morphine drip. It's just exactly <laughs> what you need. Um... And it's a little bit ghoulish because Noel Fielding is on the new season, and he's a delight. Oh, he's he's a straight up ghoul. He's a very wholesome ghoul. Definite Ryan vibes. Yeah. Yeah. I was suspicious of him when I watched the first episode of the new season of Great British Bake Off because I was like, he is not a lesbian, so I <laughs> I can't trust this. <laughs> is fair? Is he not though? The... I think over time I've come to accept him as a lesbian. Yeah. Spiritually. Look at yeah. the look at the outfits. Look at this. Look at the God. style. His outfits are impeccable. Just, that soft goth. Uh-huh. He's really enjoying his life. You can mm-hmm. see it, and it's beautiful. I feel like he and Taika Waititi could largely oh, yeah. share a wardrobe. Yeah. I would pay money to watch that 
roommate, like, wacky roommate sitcom oh of the two of them. They would be my favorite odd couple. Yeah. He, honestly, um, I think Noel on that show also, isn't, isn't he, like, he's super tight with one of the other hosts who they're always... He and Sandy? Yeah, Sandy, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah they're, they're adorable together. It's extremely good. Um, so this week, uh, I have, um, yeah, been watching the... <laughs> been watching Revenge, which, uh, that first season of Revenge... Oh, so perfect. It's, it's incredible. Um, and really, just the ending of any episode when she crosses off a face with that red marker... God... Look, sex is great and all, but <laughs> have you ever watched the end of the first season, first episode of Revenge when she crosses off the first face? Oh, yeah. God, it's so good. Yeah. yeah. So good. It's amazing. I um, I think the goal shit that I've been consuming this week, um, I have been watching old episodes of Hard Copy at work. Because somebody dumped a shitload of old episodes of, like, late 80s hard copy on YouTube, so... So you have to watch them. That's correct, yes. If you don't, who will? <laughs> no, someone that's not me, and that fucking will not stand. Um, and, and it's great because of how hysterical this shit is, because um, there's, like, a, a huge miasma of, like, moral panic in the late 80s, that you can tell this is the, uh, the culture responding to, like, some devil shit, and the, you know, the heavy metal music, and nobody really knows what's going on anymore, but they are convinced... Uh, that their children are probably going to sacrifice puppies to Satan, and they're all very concerned about that. Um, so that's what I've been doing. And then also, uh, I have been... Holy fuck. Um, I've been rereading uh, some Joe Lansdale short stories. Um, I've realized that I am a fucking mark for Joe R. Lansdale. He's sort of like, um, if Stephen King is a cheeseburger, like a really good cheeseburger, Joe R. Lansdale is like a greasy... He's like Checkers, right? He's like a Checkers burger. You ever been to Checkers? I no. No. Nothing? I thought Checkers was uh, one of the president's dogs. <laughs> also Nixon's dog. But yeah. also Shitty Burger. And also Jar Lansdale. So this week, uh, we are talking about two different movies. Both of them are named Fright Night. The first one we're talking about, Fright Night from 1985. The uh, original Fright Night directed by Tom Holland, not Spider-Man. Um, so, Sarah, you had never seen the original Fright Night before. Never. I did not know jack shit about it. I kind of thought that it was going to be like a, uh, like a Fear Street homage. What does that mean? I have no idea. Like a, like a, like a decade before Fear Street? Yep. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Hell Wait, yeah. what's Fear Street? Fear oh. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, Fear Street. Ah! Are you talking about, like, the Christopher Pike books? Yes! Okay. Oh, no, R.L. Stein. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, no, Christopher Pike, he was in the same genre, but, like, this yeah. was R.L. Oh, Stein's, okay. like, for, you know, sexy teens. Yeah, it was... Sexy right? teens. It was, goose, okay. it was Gooseberms, but... Gooseberms. Um, with... Mm. Okay, all right, so you I just got like a job that. working Please at the... Please don't say Gooseberms again. That's very bad. <laughs> Look, the geese have to reproduce somehow. They do. Okay. Um, okay, so check this out. You just got a job working at the movie theater, mm -hmm. even though your mom didn't want you to have a job, but you need it to pay for your ice skating lessons. And there happens right. to be a boy who works at the ticket counter, and he is so brooding and Classic. mysterious, but hot also. Mm -hmm. And then he shows up at the ice skating rink one day to watch you skate, and you're like, oh no, he's so brooding and mysterious, and he leaves without saying anything to you, and you're like, wow, he's so brooding and mysterious. Oh no, who could have left this threatening note in my ice skating oh, bag? Boy. I better tell that boy at work about it so he can come over when I'm alone and protect me. Oh mm -hmm. boy. Oh no, who mm -hmm. could have left this threatening 
a message written in lipstick on my bathroom mirror. I better call up that cute boy from work and tell him how scared I am. Probably an evil hockey mascot. Oh, yeah. God. I feel like that's who it is. Oh. I feel like that's and who it is. And then I'm going to blow your shit up right now. Guess who the murderer is who has been threatening you and killing your friends. It was the Philly fanatic. Is it that boy? It was that boy who worked at the ticket counter. The only other character in the story? Uh Shit. Uh, Well, no, also your friend in the story who got murdered. Oh, okay. So So it was was one of those two, and then your friend got murdered, so then that that leaves him. Wow. Mm -hmm. I think Poirot would be able to make pretty short work of that. Yeah, which we also very nearly did um, I Know What You Did Last Summer. Uh, for this podcast, because I was like, well, you know, we could do that one because also you'd never seen that one. But then I realized, like, uh, I know what you did last summer is literally it was taken from like a a, a Fear Street plot, mm-hmm. basically, where it's like, oh no, it's these sexy t- turns and they're like going to college and they've just graduated, but no, they accidentally hit and hit a guy with a car and dumped his body in the ocean and he's coming back to kill them, and um. Stars Jennifer Love Hewitt and Freddie Prinze Jr. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Ryan Phillippe and and uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar, which is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, but we did not do that. We did Fright Night, which yeah. is also very teen oriented. Kind of. I kind mean, of. is it? Have they ever met teens? I don't think they have. No. First of all, they never go to class. They never go to class. Uh, Charlie is Professor Fourteen Year Old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. He's constantly wearing elbow patches and just being tall and mm-hmm. God bless those blazers. Yeah. Yeah. It's doing a lot. And the movie opens, honestly, I am astounded that in the original Fright Night we are meant to side with Charlie Brewster. Because the movie opens with him... All right. Now, let's just get this out of the way. Um, this movie thinks I'm way more invested in a teenage boy's dick than I am. I mean, this was the style at the time, right? Sure. It was like porkies. Like, everything was... Everything was like a sexual assault comedy, basically. Right, right. It was about cheesy teen boners. There was a lot of concern about whether or not teen boys would get their dicks wet at that time because, (laughs) you know, there was a shortage Uh of wet teen boy dicks in America. And so it was kind of like how after 9-11, like, every TV plot had terrorism involved with it. Yes, I have been watching Revenge. Um, And in this one, you know, it was just topical. It was like, oh, no, a national crisis of dry... Teen boy dicks. So trickle down economics. Wow. Okay. In the 1980s. Oh. I'm just gonna ask you to leave. I understand. God. Yes, that's fair. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, Christ. So yeah. So dry, dry teen peens. All right. Yeah. All right. In, Dra- I, in in Draculaville. I do. I love this thing that happened in that time period of movies a lot. That happens in the opening of the original Fright Night, where mm-hmm. a teen boy and a teen girl are making out. Right. And then the teen girl is like, "Stop trying to have sex with me." And the teen boy is like, hey, you keep on telling me to stop having sex with you. I'm sorry, I keep trying to have sex with you. And she immediately, like, her legs just part like the Red Sea. And she's like, now we can fuck. (laughs) You said the secret password. Which was, I'm angry, but also shucks sorry. Yeah, yeah. And Charlie Brewster, like, honestly, I feel like the moment he says, like, we've been going for a year and all I ever hear is, Charlie, stop it. And instantly, as a viewer, you're like, motherfucker, I hope you get dracula seven ways to Sunday. I hope you get super dracula Yeah. I mean, even without his, like, pressury bullshit, mm-hmm. I would have wanted him to get dracula but... Yeah. When that happened, I, I think I immediately turned to you and said, tell me he dies. <laughs> And um, he, 
So, okay, so the the actor William uh, Ragsdale, mm-hmm. he kind of looks like a young Bruce Campbell. Like I like that actor. He seems like a sweetheart, but Charlie Brewster as a character, um, deeply unlikable. You know who is likable though is Charlie's mom. Yeah, that's Fucking true. Love her. Oh man, she is she is vodka mom. She's the one in the movie who I want to get dicked down. Yeah. I'm rooting for her to get some some pipe, man. Some, some like, vampire pipe. Yeah, vampire. Vampire, thank you. From um, from Jerry Dandridge. Oh, my heart. <sighs> All right. Yeah. So this movie's a goddamn mess because <laughs> in the in the cold light of of today, it, its sexual politics are completely confused. It really wants us to sympathize with this teenage boy who in, in today's vocabulary, we would say practices terrible consent uh-huh. mm-hmm. um, and just, like, guilts his girlfriend. And it really wants us to be thrilled by, but also afraid of and ultimately mistrustful of, this delightful queer-coded vampire. And that's just not the world we're living in. And no. that's why it's such a confusing movie, because it keeps trying to tell you that certain things are good and other things are bad, and it just... It's incoherent at this point. Right. Well, and Chris Sarandon as the vampire Jerry. Uh, so, which, by the way, first of all, I support any movie that uh, looks at its iconic vampire and goes, you know what his name is? Jerry da- <laughs> Jerry Dandridge. Hell yeah. Who sounds like the mascot for a dandruff shampoo. Yeah. Like, you just mm-hmm. listen to your buddy Jerry Dandridge, he'll sort out your fucking dandruff. Um, and Chris Sarandon... Now... All of us grew up loving Chris Sarandon because of The Princess Bride. Absolutely. I think. We, we all just... There, I have, like, an, a, a knee-jerk love of anyone involved in that movie. Um, and Chris Sarandon as Jerry Dandridge is just... You know that thing when there's a foppish, cultured vampire that you're, uh, that you're afraid is gay, but also he might dick your mom down and steal your girlfriend, but mm-hmm. also has a live-in uh, carpenter? <laughs> yeah. Um, He's the kind of guy where I am like, oh... You have different silverware for levels of formality. Yeah. And I respect it. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, I, th- I think it's bananas that this movie expects us to root against him and in favor of the only on-screen heterosexual. Yeah. Which, yeah. which is also, this is, all right, this movie has a background radiation of supreme gay because you've got Evil Ed, played by Stephen Jeffries, uh, also known as a gay porn actor Sam Ritter, who uh, is, he's gay in real life. Amy's, um, wait, what? Oh, just, uh, Sam, I thought that Sam Ritter was the name of the guy from Cheers. You're thinking of John Ritter, and you're thinking of Three's Company. Wow. You're thinking of fucking of Ted Danson in Cheers? No, I was definitely thinking of John Ritter in Three's <laughs> Gay porn actor John Ritter, you know, he... Watching you try to decipher straight culture is just a marvel. <laughs> you know, honestly, John Ritter uh, as evil Ed is great, because he's, he's so nice. He just shows up and he's like, oh, you're so cool, Brewster, and everyone's like, John Ritter. He's so delightful. Um, so you've got Stephen Jeffries, who, you know, gay in real life. You've got um, Amy in this movie, the, the, the actor who plays Amy, gay in real life. Roddy motherfucking McDowell as um, vampire hunter Peter Vincent who could not look like more of an old queen who yeah. is just surrounded by artifacts from his movies and he's very, you know. And is he gay in real life? He's gay in real life, but also if you're gay in real life, then you're gay in real life. If, oh, wow. Oh fuck. Wow. It's unconfirmed about whether Roddy McDowell was gay in real life, but he did have every week 
two dinner parties, one for all of his straight friends oh and God. one for all of his gay friends. Yeah, he was gay in real life. Gay in real life. That's a great move right there. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Except for the having straight friends part. Yeah, that sounds like a terrible dinner party. It's a party. bad idea. All your, all Nobody's your... perfect. Oh, that's you know. true. Um, and so the movie uh, starts out with uh, Charlie Brewster pulling some rear window shit where he um, is binocularing out the window, which I don't know what it is with people in suburbia in these movies that all have fucking binoculars. They're all just creeping on each other. Also, you live next door, motherfucker. You're not looking at a hawk from across a field. <laughs> Look out your goddamn window. If 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 the vampire can see you without binoculars, uh-huh. you can see the vampire without binoculars. If you have binoculars, he'll get titties. I'm calling that straight way out. Oh, uh, there we go. True. And he seems like the kind of guy who would, mm-hmm. yeah. does, does Charlie Brewster. Uh, And he notices that, like, oh, boy, they're carrying a coffin into this house. And it's Jerry Dandridge. And we got to point out the MVP of uh, Fright Night 85. My boy. Billy. His his familiar, his ghoul, his um, companion. His His confirmed bachelor friend. Confirmed bachelor friend. Live in Carpenter is my new favorite euphemism. It's it's like (laughs) confirmed bachelor, but just so much more so. Right. He's uh, uh, just a, a buckaroo. You know, mm-hmm. living with Jerry. They're two mates. Yeah. And he is such a delight to watch on screen because, first of all, very toothy is yes. Billy. He he's very um, he leads with his teeth and he talks with his teeth. And the actor who plays Billy mentioned in the uh, the documentary uh, about Fright Night, "You're So Cold, Brewster." Uh, right now, it's on Shutter. Shout out to Shutter. Hi guys, thank you for sponsoring our show. Um, I don't know why I'm waving, by the way, at my microphone as I say this. Is there yeah, Shutter? They can see. It's very sweet. They can see you. They yeah, can. yeah. They they know. Um, and yeah, the actor who plays Billy says in the documentary that he approached this role as, well, I just need to bully the shit out of this child. So I'm just every scene going to mad dog him and get in his space <laughs> so great. and just be a fucking dick to this child. <laughs> the thing is, who deserves more bullying than Charlie fucking Bruce? No yeah. one. Bully, no the, one. bully the shit out of that boy. Bully this child. I would also really enjoy an alternate version of this movie where there's actually no vampirism involved. It's just this paranoid straight boy who's <laughs> freaking out about the queer couple next door, mm-hmm. and they just prank the hell out of him. Oh, yeah. Oh, that man. would be so delightful. Oh, man. Especially because Halloween belongs to the gays, as we know. Yeah. So they probably have a bunch of shit lying around in the basement that they could, like, oh, this right. kid thinks we're a fucking Dracula? Yeah. Let's, let's fuck with this child. This reminds me of the Twilight AU in which Edward is not a vampire, and Bella has put together this whole thing and then confronts him in the woods and is like... I know what you are, a vampire. And he's just like, like nervous laughter. <laughs> <laughs> like, whoa, what the fuck? <laughs> I thought I was going to get a, a bloge in these woods, but things have taken oh, a turn. Oh boy. <laughs> they certainly have. Oh, boy. Um, and so Charlie uh, watches a, a young lady get super murdered by uh, the vampire Jerry. After looking at her tits, which I'm just saying, he could have seen tits if he had paid attention to his overall wearing girlfriend. Well, and he's got like a porno mag on his floor after it's, staying up all night. It's so much. It's just really, it's, it's really egregious, and it's a lot to look. At. As someone who grew up um, as a teenager who also had external genitals, let me tell you, not that interesting. Just not that interesting. Especially you're watching a horror movie, and it's like, okay, can we get to the Dracula shit? And it, it's really important that you know that Charlie jacks it a frequently. <laughs> that he is just sharpening that stake. Is it, though? Yeah. Like, is it important? Crucial to okay. the plot All right. that N- you're aware that he <laughs> is just cranking it noon, all day. Noon till night, polishing that stake. <sighs> yeah. Okay. Um, 
and so he, uh, Charlie, being the biggest fucking scrub lord in all of suburbia, uh, decides that he's gonna he's gonna take down the vampire Jerry, and he calls the the local cop. There's one cop in the whole town, and uh, the guy comes over, and Billy, the toothiest man in the world, um, they all go into the house, uh, and Charlie is like, "Yeah, they they got corpses in the house," and Billy's like. Oh, really? And he's just like, honestly, I cannot recommend enough watching that scene Mm -hmm. because he has this one delivery that I've been thinking about my entire life, which is, you know, he's like, go down to the basement. And then the cop goes, what's down there, Charlie? And then Billy goes, yeah, Charlie, what's down there? And it's just, (laughs) oh, oh, God. And he's like, like, fuck you, smile in that scene. We we rewound and watched that scene like three, four times because it's so perfect the way that he just fucking fucking like toothy grins at charlie yeah and eyebrows at the cop like hey this kid's a fucking idiot and the cop's like jesus christ this is my life (laughs) and the cop is and that actor is great also because the cop when when charlie's like if you go down to the basement you'll find jerry dandridge sleeping the sleep of the undead and the cop just goes (laughs) what (laughs) and he's what are you talking about he's just like yelling at this kid he's like yo I'll, i'll make you into a corpse if you don't fucking stop calling me um, so Charlie figures out, whoa, no, if you tell the cops that there's a Dracula... I don't know why I'm Mario Ronaldo. No, it's um, Yeah. Um, well, I don't know why if you tell the cops there's a Dracula, they think you're crazy. Um, so Charlie decides that he needs to um, take down Jerry Dandridge. And his girlfriend Amy is like, look, I need to get some dick. And all you are doing is um, fashioning garlic garlands. Garlickens. In your room, all hours of the night, you've got crucifixes, you've got steaks, you're really throwing yourself into this LARPing shit, I guess, with being a, a yeah. Van Helsing. She yeah. smashes a sloppy joe in his face, and he still doesn't dick her down. <sighs> That's, what does it take? It's a to... classic move. <laughs> right. Yeah. You smash what it? What does a girl yeah. have to do around here? Look, I've got game. I know what the power moves are. Mm-hmm. Smashing a sloppy joe into a dude's face is how you get railed and that's yeah. the last resort if that doesn't work you've got nowhere to go yeah, yeah. and that's why that, that's why they call you coach I, I don't understand why she needs him specifically to bang her is there a drought of dick in this town i don't know it's the only explanation the only two teen boys that you really get to spend any time with is uh, are uh charlie the worst boy in the world and evil ed <sighs> somehow worse somehow so that worse really, that really puts her behavior into context yeah just go be gay just go you don't have to fuck either of these boys no no and uh evil ed um sarah i think you specifically had huge beef with stephen jeffrey's performance as evil ed also because what is his relation to charlie are they friends are what 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 is happening I feel like this is also a big feature of movies from that period where there's like teen boys who hang out together who don't seem to enjoy each other's company ever, mm-hmm. but who are just like, nah, I'm around, I'm in your house. Like the fucking Kimmy Gibbler of teen boy friendships. Oh boy, wow. And Buh, I'm in your bathroom, I hate you. Right? And I'm just like, like watching Evil Ed follow these characters around and Uh cackle at them and wander into their houses and like (laughs) point at them while delivering deeply unfunny jokes and then laughing at his own jokes i the instant he started speaking again i was like tell me he gets murdered tell me he gets murdered that's all i want to know is that he fucking dies and then christina and i both went "Mm -hmm." Mm -hmm. and they would tell me nothing yeah and so I could only assume that he was going to be the sole survivor of this movie and go on to have a couple franchises that I was also going to have to watch. Right, right. 
Um, yeah. Well, and I mean, there was a movie called Evil Ed, but it has nothing to do with this. Um, which we also ranked on the podcast. It's not important. That's the one with Ash, right? No, that's... Oh... The Evil Dead. <laughs> oh, I remember and I made a joke oh, based on a memory oh, I retained. <laughs> smart. Classic. Yeah. Fuck. Master so, done. just outstanding work. Um, so, the movie uh, progresses and then uh, Charlie enlists the help of uh, aging... Uh, theater manager Roddy McDowell who plays Peter Vinson um who uh runs a local cable access show where he's basically like Sven Gulli, right like he's um sorry that's a very midwestern uh frame of reference like uh, like Elvira right yeah yeah like uh wait sorry Sven Gulli. yeah you never because midwestern that's, tv legend Sven Gulli. that's not Ryan's doing that's no. what he called himself I don't know what's worse yeah. Which would be worse if Ryan came up with that pun, or if that was a real person. Anyway, mm-hmm. go on. Yeah, I, I understand. Yeah. It's it's a lot. I mean, you make a lot of fucking Svengali references, so I just kind of assumed that was yours. I just want somebody to accuse me of being a Svengali just once. You, you know, you can't. It's like trying to give yourself a nickname. It's like trying to call yourself T Bone. It doesn't. You can't. Somebody else has to call you Svengali slash T Bone. You know, people call me T Bone a lot. Well, that's why they call you Coach. Mm-hmm. Um. So he enlists the help of Peter Vincent, and Peter Vincent is just like, haha, you're fucking crazy. And uh, Charlie is um, pirouetting off the deep end. So Evil Ed, who is apparently friends with Charlie Brewster, and Amy. For some reason. For some reason. Um, ah, I'm in your bathroom, what? cackling at him. Um, so Amy and Ed seek out Peter Vincent. They're like, look, man, um, Charlie thinks that vampires are real, and he thinks that you're a real Van Helsing. So you should come help us convince Charlie not to murder a man. I do love the line delivery uh, when Amy finds out what Charlie is going to do, and she's like, that's murder. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, he's unfamiliar with the concept. <laughs> like, she's just like, look, I get it, you're crazy, but you're talking about murdering a person. And he's like, no, I'm not. And she's like, motherfucker. I have to, I have to ride this. It's like a, it's like of mice and men, really. Like she has to lead him through. No, Charlie, do you know what happens if you hammer a stake through someone's heart? And he's like, Yeah, it's great. It's like, No, you kill them, Charlie. What's death? Well, Charlie, it's like when a vampire doesn't get out of their coffin ever again. And she asked, and so uh, Peter Vincent is like, I'm not doing shit. And Amy's like, I have money. And Peter Vincent is like, Okay. So they go over to the vampire Jerry's house. And, um, really, let's just fast forward to the end of the movie here. Um, a bunch of bullshit happens. <laughs> and Jerry, Jerry dies. Now, this movie has nothing to say about anything. I'm sorry, before we get into the analysis, can we please, please. just touch on the most important part of the movie, which uh-huh. is where Jerry Dandridge is walking... Uh, along a little parapet in his house and running his big scary vampire fingernail along the balustrade mm-hmm. and Christina oh delivered the most oh. fucking devastating oh. well cause I was I was looking at, at this at this flagrant insult to very nice old woodwork mm-hmm. and I said that is an antique railing and then immediately I said he'll give you an antique railing and then my soul <laughs> My soul left my body, uh, and I went to heaven, and uh, I high-fived every uh, angel. We, we, Gailey and I both, our heads craned like geese's necks, and just like, <laughs> oh no. I can't describe, listener, I cannot describe to you adequately the level 
smugness on Christina's face when she realized what she had just done. Yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> However pleased with myself, dear listener, you might think I am. Just multiply it by <sighs> 10, at least. It's brilliant. He'll give you an antique railing. He'll give you an antique railing. God. Which, but thank you for the episode uh, title, by the way, an antique railing yeah, um, on, on this. Um, and so uh, there are a couple of things that I think are really notable about Fright Night. Uh, one, the uh, ambient gay, but then also, all right, so the scene with Evil Ed in the alleyway with Jerry Dandridge, uh, there are moments of legitimate tenderness with the character Evil Ed, mm-hmm. and it's a lot, where um, it's Jerry, you know, he's in the alleyway, uh, Ed is cowering in the garbage, and, you know, same, by the way, and Jerry is, like, showing genuine tenderness to this kid, and, you know, he's sort of going, like, you know, no one's gonna pick on pick on you anymore. I'll protect you. I'll see to that. You know, you're not alone anymore. You're different. I know what it's like to be different. And this is 100% some this charming man shit mm-hmm. with like an older gay man and a younger gay man and sort of you know taking him under his wing. And there there is that in the mix where it's like, oh, there's an underage aspect here. And then you're thinking to yourself, well, there sure fucking is. That's really uncomfortable. Um, I really wish that the director for that scene had also directed the rest of the movie. Yeah, well, and what's incredible is that the director for that scene, uh, you will note that uh, the song Come To Me, which is the love theme from Fright Night, is playing softly in the background while Jerry is delivering the speech to Evil Ed. This also plays later when he is fucking Amy. We're not fucking Amy, but biting her and generally they're sweaty. I'm not gonna say fucking, because she does that whole, like... She has one move for taking her tits out, right. and she does that move. Yeah. In her defense, she did get much hotter by that scene, but like yes. you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, which I think they're I think they're canonically boning. Nobody should be made less hot by being a vampire. I think. Yeah. No, that's that wouldn't be right. No, no. Um, and so uh, there's the ambient gay of that, but then there's also the sort of gay panic aspect of like there's an invading gay force that wants to move into the suburbs and subvert. Um, some teen boy's uh, effort to get his dick wet. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't really say much about those things. I think it trades on a lot of those things. I really, really like Fright Night 1985, but it's also... It's deeply flawed in a lot of ways. I think that what the movie has the most to say about is the cost of violence. Yeah. Um, mm. You get to really see... And this was something that you pointed out to me, Ryan that kind of defanged my, hey, hey. didn't do that on purpose, Um, It kind of defanged my loathing of Evil Ed by just a, just a fucking hair, mm-hmm. um, which is that his death scene is highly traumatic oh. to the viewer and to um, knock Vincent. off Vincent Price. Yeah, right. uh, Peter Vincent. <laughs> it, it's, it hurts to watch, and that's directly contrasted with the violence that's done by the bad guys in the movie who clearly don't feel any remorse. Yeah. Um, the, the movie has something to say about that. I don't think it knows that it has something to say about that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, every now and then you trip and fall into a good point. Absolutely. And Evil Ed's death scenes breaks my fucking heart because, you know, Peter, and, the way, and the way that Roddy McDowell plays that scene where, you know, and, and because you think it's going to be a triumphant moment, like, I just staked a vampire who was also a wolf who was trying to attack me. And, like, first of all, we have to, do, we do have to acknowledge the practical effects in Fright Night 85. Brilliant. Yeah. Fucking outstanding. Um, and the effects during Evil Ed's, like, I've, I'm, I'm, I've just been staked and I'm transforming back into a teenage boy while dying. And he's, like, reaching out his hand to Peter Vincent and Peter Vincent is, like, 
Yeah, no, that scene, I think it's one of the only things that I prefer about the original over the remake mm -hmm. is the way Evil Ed is handled, um, his, the way his death is handled in the uh, the OG Fright Night. Um, I would also like anyone listening to this to know what it's like to watch a movie with me and Ryan and Christina, which is that when the wolf comes on screen to attack uh, I can't stop thinking of him as Discount Vincent Price. Yeah, Peter Vincent? Peter Vincent, there we go. <laughs> um, when the right. wolf comes on screen to attack him, all three of us said, Oh, oh. the doggy! <laughs> oh, puppy! Just, yeah, I love to work for hot dogs. <laughs> While, like, running forward. And is supposed and is meant to be scary, but here's the thing. It's puppy. Um, so, yeah, so the movie ends with uh, Vampire Dies, Billy Dies, uh, Charlie gets his dick wet, I oh. guess. So sad that Billy died. <sighs> Man. Who's going to bully Charlie now? No, apparently me. no one. Literally me. I will yeah. jump Good. into this film and bully this child. Go find um, and, and what I think is so confused about this movie and what makes it, what makes it incoherent if you try to read it beyond the level of a fun horror movie um, is that... Is that it's 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 playing on queer panic, mm -hmm. and some of what's involved in that plot line is genuinely horrible, like preying on underage kids. Mm -hmm. And there's a nice moment in the club scene where a bouncer stops him when he's walking off with Amy, whom he's hypnotized at this point. Mm -hmm. And the bouncer essentially says, "Like she's too young. What are you doing?" And yeah. you know, for his trouble, Jerry murders him. And another bouncer, because because why not? There's like a bo there's like a bogo. Yeah, but it's 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 a nice moment of like, oh, here's something that this alleged bad guy is doing that's actually terrible. Yeah, like his preying on Amy and on Evil Ed is actually bad. Like I know he looks like Chris Sarandon, but this is also pretty right. Shady. And he he just sits in a chair like nobody's business. It's exquisite. <laughs> he really does. Um, <sighs> man, brutal. And I'll... I would love to like give this movie credit for just you know for living in that tension and doing something with it and being morally challenging in some way, but I don't think it is. I no. think it's just like being dapper and suave is every bit as bad as preying on children and this is all part of queerness and it's all bad. It's all tied up together. Which just doesn't hold up super well. It does not. Counterpoint, that white turtleneck. Oh, yeah. I think uh, resolves all the sins in this movie. <laughs> I really he's got so many fucking iconic looks in this and he brings he brings wardrobe changes with him when he's gonna <laughs> lurk around town and yeah. chase teens yes like that's power uh-huh I respect the shit out of that alternatively maybe vampires can do glamours in this universe and he's just naked all the time which explains that swang and dick energy yeah. right his swang swang dangling vampire dick although yep. counter counterpoint what if he's out here in like a button up Dragon Ball Z shirt and a oh, fedora no. and he just uses glamour to look like 1980s Chris Sarandon because that's the okay. move. Okay, but what would you use a glamour for if not to look like 1980s Chris Sarandon? The problem is that we would all look like 1980s Chris Sarandon and nobody would be able to tell each other apart. Sounds like a feature. That's great, actually. Yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, I'd be kind of into that. Yeah, same. Same. It would be like being John Malkovich, but... It's like the question of whether or not you'd bang your clone, but you and your clone both look like Chris Sarandon. And the answer is yes, and then they also answer yes mm -hmm. in the same yeah. Chris Sarandon voice. So, uh, I... Alright. So, if we're looking at where to put this on the list, I like this a lot, but it's not... It goes pretty far down. 
Oh wow! <laughs> wow! 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 All right, all right. Let's uh, let's scan this list. Uh, uh, pick. Okay, are you gonna put it? Where have you seen? Before or after number seventy-two, Evil Ed? Oh, that was the 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 the, the thing we ranked. Um, I this is definitely way better than Evil Ed, which was a an Australian movie about bad censorship in is, the eighties. Is it better or worse? That it's not better than Final Destination, which was number sixty-three. It's not better I'll than Final Destination. All right, wow. It's not better than Audition. It's not better than Ash versus Evil Dead. I'm yeah. It's not better than that. Um, I I think it is. All right, all right. Here's the thing. I do think it's better than Children of the Corn. Fair. With Linda Hamilton from 1984. Um, I do not think it is better than Phantom of the Paradise. All right. That's odd there. that Children of the Corn is before is above Army of Darkness. At number 69. Nice. 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 Um, that's, goddamn, that's really incredible. So, yeah, so, uh, Our here. new number 69, which is a maneuver that Charlie will <laughs> never attempt. Oh, no. Oh, wah, wah. It... Our, the, our new number 69 is, like, in my alternate version of Fright Night, where there's no vampirism. That's a sex move that Billy makes up right. and tells Charlie he has to try. Exactly. Yeah. God. Yeah. I really want that movie now. All right. So, yeah. So, uh, coming in at our new number 69 is uh, Fright Night from 1985. Um, and then, so the next one we're going to be talking about. Yes. Holy shit. Uh, so, Fright Night 2011. Fuck. Y'all, I lo- this is one of my favorite horror movies probably ever. This is one of my favorite movies, period. Yeah. Yeah. It's fucking incredible. It's, okay, so if uh, Fright Night 85, you know, as fun and campy and ridiculous and Chris Sarandony as it was, mm-hmm. didn't really have much to say. And I think as a horror movie doesn't necessarily work, although I don't know if that's just the, the harsh light of 2018 that the scares don't work necessarily. Because also it was like riffing on a lot of like hammer horror stuff uh, at the time. Um, Fright Night 2011 works on every level. Every fucking level. Like, it it works as a horror movie, it's funnier than shit, the performances are great, it says something really incredible about toxic masculinity and breaking the cycles of abuse. It's deeply scary on social levels. Um, and frankly, like, the characters are fucking great. Mm -hmm. I was rooting for all of them. The yeah. entire time. Every single character. I was like, I like you, I like you, I like you. And not in terms of likability, but in terms of plot and story structure. Right. Um, also, a thing that when we were watching Fright Night, um, the original Fright Night, that I kept thinking is, there's no David Tennant in leather pants. Right. Yeah. Anywhere in this movie, and that's a huge shortcoming, and like, what is going on with that? And Fright Night 2011 really resolved that for me. Yeah, it's a real it's a real problem. Um, yeah, David Tennant, uh, I'm not even going to lie to you. When I saw Fright Night 2011 in theaters, um, I saw it in theaters, A, because, you know, Fright Night reboot, and B, because David Tennant and Leather Pants, and this was at, like, the height of my obsession with Doctor Who. Um, and honestly, also Anton Yelchin as Charlie Brewster. Yeah. This baby. <sighs> I miss Anton Yelchin every goddamn day. He, this this Charlie is, like, the complete opposite of the other Charlie. This Charlie is thoughtful and trying his best and wants to take care of everybody for the right reasons. Yeah. And I... And he's smart. He's not a dumb 
pile of chowder cans like the other one. <laughs> what? Chowder cans? There's not even chowder in them anymore. No, em- empty chowder cans. And it, so Anton Yelchin as Charlie Brewster, like, he, okay, so let's talk about the setting of this movie and how fucking brilliant it is. Perfect. So it is set uh, in the suburbs of Las Vegas in one of these like little Levitt towns that's like a perfectly square, self-contained town that's like miles outside of Las Vegas and surrounded by fuck all. Deeply Just... cursed part of the country to begin with. To Absolutely. Be, yeah, Las Vegas is already the worst city in the world. And then... Those suburbs could not be more liminal. That feeling yeah. that you get when you are in a Walmart parking lot at two o'clock in the morning and mm-hmm. half the streetlights are out that sensation mm-hmm. but an entire set of suburbs yeah and so you've it's taking advantage of the thing where it's like look there's a largely transient pop transient population of people moving out of town um it's right next to a major city people work it like work at night sleep during the day um it's it's perfect for the kind of movie that it is and also because there's just this like, like the environment has this weird yeah liminal dread hanging over everything um and also uh okay so the vampire Jerry in this film could not be more different from Jerry Dandridge in the original, except, I mean, they're both, you know, vamp- vampires who kill people. Um, so in that regard, very much the same. But Colin Farrell, who knew he was a fucking comedic genius? Christ. He, I feel like Colin Farrell's Jerry Dandridge accomplishes what uh, Sarandon's Jerry Dandridge was trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Um He's got this sense of, like, lush menace. He's a bad dude. Yeah, he's, he's a bad man. Extremely bad, yeah. Like, There's this great scene early on where he is meeting Amy, Charlie, and uh, Charlie's mom. And he looks at Amy in this way that is deeply familiar to anyone who grew up socialized female and met an older male predator. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, like, my skin removed itself from my body and crawled behind the sofa yeah and that's that's one of the 15 things that are happening in that scene Mm -hmm. it's it's gripping it's like a victorian novel like everything is so charged and there are so many different interactions happening at the same time he's creeping on amy while also flirting with charlie's mom while charlie is uncomfortable with all of this without necessarily being able to say why while Charlie's mom is like, oh, here's a guy who is handy around the house. He seems nice. He just moved in next door. This all seems great. Like, there's just so much going on that instantly I just yelled, who directed this? Because it's great. Yeah. And it was the same guy, in case you were also wondering, who directed um, Lars and the Real Girl and I, Tanya. Fuck yeah. The, honestly, the direction in this also, they do like a long take in the car. Oh, Christ. That's at one so point. good. And it's it's so goddamn. And it's also written by Marty Noxon, who, yes. um, what, so much of Bucket the Vampire Slayer was Marty Noxon. I think lots of season six. Yeah. Which was also, I think, a case of creator breakdown in season six of Buffy, because Marty was going through some shit uh, in her personal life sure. and then was like, hmm, what if I took this out on the characters? Um, and so Colin Farrell as Jerry, like... The scene in here that I think about a lot is the bit where um, he shows up to Charlie's house. Charlie's all alone. And Charlie thinks Jerry might be a vampire at this point because, like, his his buddy Evil Ed, who actually seems like somebody he was friends with, by the way. Yeah. So that's nice. Um, and he's like, no, he, Jerry's a vampire. And Anton Yelchin's like, whatever, man. 
and then but he does know that something is off with jerry and so jerry comes over and he's like hey like hey guy like it's always hey guy right it's the most threatening shit in the world and he's like i got a girl coming over can you you know like spot me some beer and he's like uh sure but he won't invite him inside so jerry is just hovering in the doorway and you know charlie's getting the budweiser's he drops one and it breaks and he's like can i help with that and he's like no and Ugh. it honestly that scene has some of the most tension i can think of in a horror it's movie gripping. it's gorgeous it's so good and then he communicates this thing now the thing that i love so much about fright night 2011 aside from everything about it is okay so charlie brewster has no father in the original as well but it doesn't really care about that also because i don't really care about that um because it's not focusing on anything fright night 2011 charlie's dad skipped town he's a deadbeat he fucked off and so Charlie is presented with all these different models of what masculinity can be. He's got Jerry Dandridge, who is alpha douche bro vampire, who is a predator. He's got Peter Vincent, who is a coward. He's a, a, an eyelinered Vegas showman prick. He's also deeply traumatized, Deep, which you don't know from first meeting his character. Deeply traumatized because it turns out that Jerry killed uh, Peter Vincent's parents when he was a kid. And so Charlie has all these different models of masculinity, and he gets this speech from Jerry, where Jerry's like, he calls Amy ripe. Oh, God, he it's says bad. that women, certain kinds of women, need to be managed. Yeah, it's. I mean, a lot. I also I want to say like in that scene, from jump, my alarm bells are going off because Jerry Dandridge says, "I'm out of beer. Um, can you give me some? I'll pay you back double: a six pack for you, uh, for your mom and a six pack for you." And adult right. men offering to buy minors alcohol. Mm-hmm. Not good. It's just this beautiful intersection of different types of predation in this film. Yeah. And later in that scene, Jerry Dandridge is explaining to Charlie that vulnerability gives off a scent. No, it's neglect. Neglect. Oh, yeah. fuck. Yeah, like sexual neglect. He's talking about Charlie's mother, which cool way to talk about someone's mom. Great. Right. Great, Thanks, man. Great and fine. Awesome. Um, but I mean, I think he's also, he's in the context of that scene talking about sexual neglect and like women who need to get bone, Mm -hmm. but he's also, I think pretty clearly referring to emotional neglect and the Mm -hmm. vulnerability that adult predators spot in kids, Mm -hmm. which is notable because he has just recently turned evil ed after spotting that evil ed is vulnerable and neglected by his friends and alone you see this fucking beautiful moment where evil ed just breaks and looks tired again yeah and is like fine i guess this is happening um and that's what jerry dandridge is preying on is that you can smell that neglect and that need yeah and one of the many things that are happening in that conversation between Jerry and Charlie that happens over a doorway. They're each standing just on the other side of the door jam. Um, is that like one of the through lines is that Jerry, like while he's sexually objectifying Charlie's mother and Charlie's girlfriend, and um, he's also he's also telling Charlie like you've got a lot to deal with for a kid if you don't mind my saying so. So he's doing this really sophisticated predatory dance of not only saying this is how I see people and this is this is what I do with people also sort of this is all on you. 
And it's yeah. hard to say whether Charlie would have thought of it in that sense. He and his mom seem to have a pretty healthy relationship in their first scene together. Mm-hmm. Like, comfortable and familiar, but, you know, the boundaries seem good. And But that's also what Jerry's habitual greeting to other men and boys makes me think of when hey he guy. says, hey guy. It feels to me almost like he's he's trying to like recruit people as conspirators. Yeah. I was like, hey, you're yeah. like me, right? I know it. Hey guy. Well, hey and guy. well, and you also get that moment, two things. Um, one, Charlie's mom, who's played by motherfucking Tony Collette. Yes. Um, and we just did Hereditary on the podcast. I'm still thinking about how much I love Tony Collette and how great she is. Um, and then there's another scene where um, Jerry has um, killed, um, or has, has um, detained and bitten um, one of Charlie's neighbors. And so somebody calls the cops. And the cops show up. Is it Charlie calls the cops? Yeah, Charlie. Yeah. So Charlie goes through the official channels to try right. to take care of this. And Charlie knows this young woman. She's probably in her twenties. She's a stripper um, who works in Las Vegas. Go-go dancer. Yeah. Go-go dancer. Excuse me. Right. And so, and, and they've had a conversation. Obviously, Charlie thinks he's hot because you know he's a kid and he right. likes women, but he cares about her. Like she's sweet to him, and they have a nice conversation. And so there's a there's a very like personal kind of dread when he sees. Um, Doris, her name is, going into Jerry's house. Yeah, and then, so, he calls the cops, and the cops show up, and Jerry is talking to the cops, and you see it from Charlie's POV, and the cops are joking around with Jerry, and he's, and Jerry's like, yeah, I made her scream all right, and they're all, like, having a fun laugh, laugh with the cops, the dudes, the guys. It's a huge yellow highlighter on the way that uh, abusive men take advantage of the ability of other men to be complacent yeah. and thus complicit. And him saying to Charlie, you've got a lot to deal with here with these women who need managing, is this fucking, like, acute grooming moment. Right. That, yeah. again, like, anyone who has been subject to grooming or predation by an adult as a teenager is familiar with this dynamic of, hey, I'm going to say problematic things about other people but you you get me you're on my level you're special right so we can work together we're on the same side kind of thing and i love that not for a fucking moment does charlie fall for it yeah charlie honestly and i it's a thing that i love so much about charlie is that he looks at all these different models of masculinity and what it means to be a man because he's trying to figure out who he is and he basically decides you know what uh fuck all of this actually i'm going to be i'm going to do what i think is right i'm going to protect the people I love, I'm going to do the right thing. And there's honestly, I think the moment in this that I think about a lot, I think the line I think about a lot is that, so Peter Vincent um, refuses the call to action a couple of times where Charlie is like, hey, Vegas douchebag and mother pants who's terrified of everything. Um, and loves Midori. Loves Midori <laughs> more than his next breath. Also has uh, the best uh, partner in the world, Ginger, yes. who they, they constantly are busting each other's balls and it's uh, honestly goals. Um, and so he, he tries to get Peter Vincent to help him. And then Peter Vincent finally, after dicking out and using a panic room, by the way, which is the only reason to become a millionaire, honestly, is to have your own panic room. Mm -hmm. Um, and then he shows up to help Charlie kill, um, Jerry. Um, and he says to Charlie, oh, well, okay, we should get some background here. Charlie says to Peter Vincent earlier on in the film, if, um, what, what is it that, like... He says, I don't want to be a man like you. Yeah. So, yeah, Peter Vincent's saying, you can be a dead hero if you want, but there's no, there's no heroism. There's just surviving. Yeah. Um, and Charlie says, I don't want to live through the night if it means being a man like you. Yeah. 
and then you get to David Tennant um, showing up at the 11th hour to help Charlie take down Jerry, and he says, I guess I don't want to be a man like me either. Um, this movie is fucking incredible. Yeah, it's magnificent. It's oh. definitely up there in my top favorite horror films. Yeah, and honestly, it's one, It's very, like, sort of overlooked, I think. Like, yeah. I don't see this on a lot of people's, like, best of, like, vampire movies lists. I don't see it in sort of, like, the best of the 2010s, like... This movie sort of came and went, and I think, I know a lot of people, like, my, my co-worker, Jesse, both of us sometimes just look at each other and go, you know what I'm really thankful for? Bright Night 2011, and then we both share a solemn <laughs> nod. Um, True. The, the, <sighs> I mean, this movie taps into the minds of people who have been subject to or peripheral to any kind of abuse, mm -hmm. right? We yeah. were watching it, and there's this huge auditory emphasis on the, the sound of Jerry Dandridge's footfalls as yeah. he walks through his house with his shoes on, by the way, which is how you know he's a murderer. Monstrous. <laughs> clump, clump, clump. Um, but, I mean, for, for anyone who has lived in a dangerous home, the sound of footfalls can be really frightening, and this movie conveyed that. And a garage door opening. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, the, the bit, yeah, honestly, it was funny, because when the garage door opens, when, like, uh, Charlie is inside Jerry Dandridge's house looking around for stuff, just sort of, you know, snooping for evidence, and then um, Jerry comes home. When the garage door opens, I noticed all three of us on the couch just, like, stiffening immediately because that sound is just so yeah. primally fucking scary. And, like, yeah, the way that they emphasize his heavy boot fall on the mix mm -hmm. of the film. Brilliant. It, so, I mean, it feels like so many aspects of this movie. Honestly, every time that I've watched this movie, I know that I love this movie, and I, know, and I think I like it more. Yeah. Every time. It's like a pair of pants that gets more comfortable every time you wash it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Where I notice a new thing about it that I fucking love. It's so well made and well acted and thoughtful. And it also, and now here's the thing. I feel like one of the most facile complaints about a movie is, you know, there's too many remakes and all remakes are bad. Which, by the way, first of all, The Thing is a remake. So, you know, suck a dick. True. Um, but the, what a remake should do is take the original source material and go, all right. I see what you're doing over there, and that's really cool. I'm going to take the same mythos and the same uh, conceit and do something different with it and look at it from a different angle. And it doesn't reproduce Night, uh, Fright Night 1985. It takes so much of the iconography and goes, all right, well, what, is the, what does all of this mean in 2011? And what it really comes down to is that it's, a, it's actually about something yeah. when it thinks about it for more than two seconds. Um, Another contrast between the original Fright Night and uh, Fright Night 2011, the original is uh, neutral on cops. The cop oh, who, comes, yeah. who shows up is very nice and very reasonable, and it's totally understandable that he would be like, you're full of shit, kid. Yeah. Right. Uh, Fright Night 2011 is anti-cop. Yeah, it is. The cops show up and are complicit in this predatory behavior. They don't even investigate the woman screaming, and they, like, high-five Jerry Dandridge for... Fucking, fucking. Um, and there's this really uh, like this beautifully understated moment where Charlie is snooping, opens a closet, and finds that the closet is full of different police uniforms. <sighs> police uniforms, delivery uniforms, just yeah. And yeah. it it like the police uniforms are the ones that jumped out to me because yeah. it highlight to me, like, oh, yeah, he uses that the way that a predator would. And there's never any redemption for the police in this movie. No, and there shouldn't be. Like, and also because a, you know, fuck the cops, and then b, because like this community being 
it really does feel very isolated in a way that, like, look, the cops aren't going to fucking help you in the desert. Mm-hmm. That's just not the kind of movie this is. And um, it it also respects the original, I think, a lot. A, because, you know, Chris Sarandon cameo. Yeah. Because he shows up as a motorist who gets killed. Oh, bless. And on it, which I, I like that all three of us were, like, looking at Na- uh, Chris Sarandon in 2011 and going... Oh, yeah. Still would. I'd, I'd do it. Um, Total babe. But he shows up, you know, he gets killed. You, you get a bit with uh, Jerry eating an apple like Jerry Dandridge does in the original, but I like that it's not really interested in... Like, it'll pay lip service where you'll have Evil Ed sarcastically say, you're so cool, Brewster, or you'll have Jerry saying, welcome to Fright Night for real, like Jerry in the original, but it feels so deeply uninterested in what Tom Holland was doing, and honestly, same. Yeah. I'm just really glad that Tom Holland had such a great career trajectory after making the original Fright Night because it's not easy to go from that to starring in Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm glad he's in a better place now. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, maybe he was going through some shit, but you know, after, you know, I mean, look, Spider-Man Homecoming at, at you know, opposite Michael Keaton. Incredible. Doing okay. Incredible. Doing okay. And I want to stress, Ryan, you said that every time you watch it, you love it more and get something new from it. Mm-hmm. For me this time, the main thing that jumped out at me that I hadn't noticed on previous watchings was right before Evil Ed dies, so Charlie has to kill Evil Ed, who has become a vampire and Mm -hmm. is attacking him, and right before, like, he stakes Evil Ed, and this moment has the emotional weight that it really should have, because these two have a relationship, and as Ed is dying, he's saying, Charlie, you should have saved me, you should have been there. Mm -hmm. Um, but then right before the last of him disintegrates, his face turns back to what it was before he became a vampire. And he says, it's okay, Charlie. It's okay. And he was still in there. His friend was still in there. And I, it's, it's very clear that Jerry and Peter Vincent before his redemption represent father figures that Charlie rejects. I also want to highlight the significance of Evil Ed and Charlie's other peers. Um, the boy is played by Dave Franco and a very cute, um, like, emo stoner boy. Which, by the way, delivers the line, like, you know, I like your shoes. Uh, Puce. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Um, and and these, are, these are peers who represent different types of masculinity that are equally toxic. And I think, in a way, this film for 2011 was really prescient yeah. in showing how toxic Evil Ed's brand of masculinity is. Because he's, you know, he's marginalized, like, he's treated like a dweeb, and Charlie doesn't want to be seen with him anymore. And But he's, I mean, he's every bit as sexist, and just some of the stuff he says is really awful. And he calls Amy a skank, and he's, you know... Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's not something that was really at the forefront front of most people's minds, how toxic nerd culture could be, until, I would say, at least two or three years later. Um, it's actually about ethics and vampire hunting. <laughs> it is, yeah. Yeah. Um, but Charlie looks at those also, and, and Dave Franco's character is one of the, one of the cool boys, um... And the first we see of him is Charlie walks into school with his girlfriend and two other girls who've given him a ride. And he's got a mochaccino, and Dave Franco's like, oh, you've been hanging out with the chicks too long. It's a chick drink. And he immediately takes it from Charlie and, like, takes a sip from it and doesn't give it back. He just, like, keeps drinking it because it's delicious. This belongs to the minor Franco now. (laughs) (laughs) This is my drink now. Junior Franco! Um, 
but yeah, so th- there are at least four different models of masculinity that Charlie rejects. Um, and it's, it's a beautiful thing to see. And the thing that made me think, as you may know, I am the podcast's number one American Psycho fan and supporter. Super fan, yeah. Uh, and what I noticed after noticing Evil Ed sort of come back to himself in his last moments of disintegrating um, and, and stop being abusive, like he stops blaming Charlie for the first time in the entire movie and says it's okay. Yeah. At the very, very end, when they finally stake Jerry with the special cross, the special stake blessed by St. Michael that will restore his victims to their previous state. Bring Abraham Lincoln back from the dead. All of that good stuff, yeah. Um, Jerry is also going through this disintegration, and the sunlight's getting him, and at the very, very last second, you see his face. You see the face of the person he must have been 400 years before before. he was preyed on before he was turned into a monster and it's just it's something i never noticed before because also the special effects are breathtaking um but the more i think about that the more i think like this is a really cogent and beautiful and hopeful movie about abuse and trauma and how you can break those cycles Mm -hmm. um it it treats a lot of the same topics as American Psycho, but in a much more hopeful and humane way that I think is really gorgeous. And I just love it more the more I think about it. I think that Charlie is a really incredible model of using privilege to try and disrupt the cycle of abuse. Yeah. Um, when he comes to rescue Doris, yeah, he finds her alive and trapped in this like terrifying it's like it's hall horrible. of just little cells. And it's it's the banality of like a suburban prison, right? Right. Yeah. And there's this, I mean, very moving moment where he has to hide because Jerry is coming and Jerry is is biting Doris and she makes eye contact with Charlie and puts her finger to her lips and it's just this like like it it turned my stomach and she's so effective cuz she's going through this and she's still trying to protect Charlie and he has to watch it and he can't take his eyes away and mm-hmm. it's and then he still risks himself enormously to try and get her out of that situation and help her yeah and he's not doing that to get anything. He's doing right. it because it's right. Yeah. And he could have fled while Jerry was feeding, and he doesn't. Um, and it, it's heartbreaking, but also it's... Charlie doesn't move away from that position throughout the entire film. He is trying to do the right thing because it's right. Yeah. And trying to protect the people who he loves and people who he doesn't know. Um, because he can, because he's not the one being preyed upon. And even when he is a target of the vampire's violence, he's trying to protect the people who he knows the vampire would see more as prey. Yeah, yeah. And and also if you want to contrast um, William William Ragsdale's Charlie with Anton Yelchin's, like, Anton Yelchin never really gets the big cool guy moment, I think. He never pulls out the big phallic stake and hammers it through Jerry's heart. He doesn't get to, you know, like the moment of Peter Vincent having a giant stake gun and then it fucks up and like breaks. And he's like, "Fucking eBay!" Yeah. Um, he, you know, the the way that Charlie takes down Jerry, he lights himself on fire mm-hmm. and yeah. grabs onto Jerry and won't let him go. Like he has so much skin in the game that Charlie in the original never ever did. And he, the, honestly, the fact that Charlie takes him down like that is indicative of his whole character. He's not standing across the room shooting a stake through Jerry's heart. He doesn't get to have the big phallic like stabby guy moment. He lights himself on fire. And, um, so, to wit, I love this movie so goddamn much. It's, it's 
really magnificent. It's well executed. It's well plotted. The characters have depth. The messages are good. Like and the it. horror of this movie, like yeah. the horror beats in this, it's are terrifying. It's so good. And there's nothing wasted in this movie. They could have dragged out the vampires are real no they're not thing Mm -hmm. which they don't they could have dragged out the part where charlie and his mom and his girlfriend are trapped in the house they don't drag that out um everything just clips along it's exactly the same runtime from what i saw Mm -hmm. um it's exactly the same runtime time as the original but it feels so much fuller in terms of action and plot, and also way more meaningful. Yeah, and on, on, and honestly, the, the the bit where it jumps, uh, you know, no time wasted. We're jumping, we're off to the races. You know, we know vampires are real. We know Jerry's a, a vampire and a threat. The bit where Jerry comes next door to try to like, like right before he literally explodes the house before delivering the line, like, "Don't need an invitation if there's no house," um, which is just the fucking greatest. But also the fact that he. Um, when he's outside and he's like knocking and he's like, please invite me in. He, he looks bored with this whole process yeah. because he knows like, Oh, Charlie has been harassing me. I'm going to go to the cops. And then you get this moment of fucking solidarity from his, from Charlie's mom where she's like, you know, she doesn't, she hasn't fully clocked the situation. She doesn't know exactly what's going on, but she knows something's off and she knows that Charlie is upset and she trusts her son. So she takes a beat and goes, fine, call the authorities. And then Jerry sort of looks relieved that she said this because he's like, great, now I can blow up the fucking house. <laughs> yeah. He's just, yeah, yeah. The, the relationship with the mom is incredible because, like, yeah. of course Charlie would be protective of his mom no matter what, but she clearly trusts him. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. they talk about shit. The scene where Charlie and Amy are fighting and Charlie's mom is standing on the stairs listening and just looking satisfied that her son is getting reamed by his girlfriend <laughs> for being an asshole. Yep. Is it's beautiful. We're, it's such a friendly moment that she loves her son enough to be like, huh, yeah, tell him. Yeah, the bit where um, Amy is like, just because you're losing your shit doesn't mean you get to blow me off. Yeah. And then Tony Collette just sort of like nodding and looking away and going, fuck yeah. Nice. <laughs> nice. Um, all right, so where, oh fuck, I could talk about this movie for much, much yeah, longer, but, I love it so much. alas, this is, uh, we got our scroll way up. We certainly yeah, do. very high we up We certainly on do. List. Okay, all right. I think better than Lost Boys. Oh, certainly better than Lost Boys. I, it grieves me to say it, it's better than Nightmare 3 Dream Warriors. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's one of those movies that I sort of acknowledge, like, look, I adore that movie, but th- that's also just because I have history with that movie. Yeah, sure. I, I can objectively, like, Fright Night 2011 is better. I think it's better than Carrie. You think it's better than Carrie? I do. Man, you know what? I do. You know what? I can't gainsay that. I think it might be better than Carrie. I don't think it's better than Aliens. It's not better than Aliens, and actually, I don't know that it's better than Raw. Christina, you were on the episode where we did Raw. Yeah, that's also a really great movie. Raw is um, really good. I I think it's I think it's right at home between Raw and Carrie. I think so too. I think so too. Um, because like also Raw explores, also explores abuse. Yeah. But it oh my god I don't know they they feel like such they feel like such different movies but also I'm noticing how many of the movies in the top fifty explore these themes. Right. And explore the themes of like the cycles of abuse and about trauma and you know it yeah it's good horror horror is the greatest so yeah so coming in at our new uh number 20 uh below raw but above brian de palma's carry is fright night from 2011 uh guys if you i mean if you haven't seen this movie 
I'm begging you. Please. please. It's please. so good. I, I will die standing this movie. Like, if, if this podcast does nothing else, I want it to make people check out the fucking Fright Night remake. Really, truly magnificent. The only thing it's lacking is an opportunity for Christina to say he'll give you an antique railing. I mean, that moment lives in our hearts forever. Forever, so yeah. yeah. Take the real back. antique railing was inside you the whole time. <laughs> I hate you both. Um, so, Sarah Gailey, where can listeners find you online, and do you have any projects you want to plug? Yeah, find me on Twitter. My handle is GaileyFrey. That's G-A-I-L-E-Y-F-R-E-Y. You can find me on other social media under that same handle, but I will be very honest with you. I am shit poor at remembering to update Tumblr and Instagram. Um, things I have coming up to plug, I've got some short stories coming out in October, which is the month that starts tomorrow when, as we're recording. Um, I have got the American Hippo Omnibus, which came out this year, which you can buy at major bookstores, and we just announced my next novel, Magic for Liars, coming out June 2019, which you can pre-order on Amazon.com or wherever you like to order books. Hell yeah. Um, Rank and Vile, obviously, uh, if uh, you want to catch us on Twitter where we are um, permanently and abidingly shitposting, it's going to be Rank and Vile Cast on Twitter. Um, on Tumblr, it's just Rank and Vile. Instagram, just Rank and Vile. We are on um, Stitcher. We're on Last FM. We're on uh, iTunes. We are not on SoundCloud because I refuse to pay money. Um, if you have any requests, uh, we, I know we didn't get to any um, this episode, but um, you will note that last episode we did uh, Jason Goes to Hell the Final Friday as a result of a listener request. Um, if you have any horror movies that you desperately want us to talk about, or shit on, or yell about how great they are, um, you're going to want to send those requests over to our email at rankandvilecast at gmail.com, or uh, you're going to want to put that in our ask box. I always feel like I want to emphasize the K in ask box so, it's, so that it's not ask box. Um, on Tumblr, at just rank and vile. Um, Christina, you don't want anybody to find you online. I don't, but here's something I do want, and this is not something I've mentioned to Ryan or Sarah because it's a, a feeling I just had. I would like to send a Blu-ray of Fright Night 2011 to the first three people who ask for it. Ooh, hell yeah. Because it's very inexpensive, and I know there's not a ton of buzz around this movie, and I love it so much, and I want more people to see it. Yeah. Actually, that, yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Mail you some Blu-rays. Um, but I think that is all I got. You guys, uh, you guys got anything else? No. Later, folks. <laughs>